Welcome to the Broken to Unbroken podcast with Dr. Nick Askey, where we dive deep into how to eliminate pain and continue to train. All right, so welcome to the Broken to Unbroken podcast. Uh, our guest is Jeremiah Clark, and Jeremiah got introduced to me by Brandon Bartz, who's a, a he's been on the podcast once or twice. Uh, I've known Brandon for years. I've I've known Jeremiah for about ninety seconds now. Uh, so Brandon just reached out to me and sent me a text going, "Hey, uh, I, I know a guy that finished his first hundred miler and he hasn't been running that long. I'd uh, have an interesting story, and I have some pretty selfish uh, motivations for this because I'm going to be signing up for my first hundred miler in June in Wisconsin if I do get into it." Uh, because they canceled it this year. So there's going to be a huge wait list on that Kettle Moraine uh, race up in, in Wisconsin. So uh, Jeremiah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking time out on your Saturday to to talk with us. Yeah, of course, Nick. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't think this would be a byproduct of that experience one bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I think I I talked to people about like, because I see a lot of patients that are CrossFitters or they hate running and they're like, why would a human being do that? And I tell people that people that run a hundred miles have a, a different, they, they march to a different drumbeat. Uh, and it's usually somebody who would be addicted to something that is much less so socially acceptable than running uh, to where they'd end up in an alley with a bunch of porn under one arm and shooting heroin into the other. Um, but I, it, it really does take a time commitment training for these, and it takes uh, a lot of mental toughness to actually complete one under a time cap. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you brought up the addiction thing and that's, uh, I don't know, I guess I have thought a couple of times why I've done it and I don't know, I guess I don't really come up with a, a defined answer usually, but something that keeps coming up reverberates it's like i feel like i have sort of an addictive personality so what you said just about that i was like obviously there's a there's a lot of other worse ways i could be uh exhibiting that personality trait right yeah and i come from a a family of addicts um all of them are in recovery thankfully and they've got their they they really have their lives uh, straightened out, but it was definitely a shoots and ladders uh, scenic route uh, with both my parents and my younger brother, uh, and I'm proud of all three of them. But I I share genetics with all of them, yeah. so I just try to use exercise as my drug, and it seems to be there's almost a twofold benefit because if you're running for six, eight, 10 hours on a weekend. You can't be out at brunch drinking mimosas, but you also can't be tying one on at night because you got to get up and do your training. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, one of the, one of those experiences is memorable and the other's not right. And it's like, uh, I'd much rather have the one that's memorable or be present for it and be able to do it over and over and over again. Right. As opposed to another Saturday night that I can't remember and I won't remember when I'm 70 years old, you know? Uh, but it doesn't really have to be running. It could be almost any sort of any other memorable experience, but yeah, I guess something, at least for, for me with running, uh, 
I don't know, you're experiencing something the whole entire time you're doing it, right? It's never really boring. And like yeah. in the moments, it's in the moments that's exciting. It's also peaceful too. I don't know, but I guess that's why I stay in it. And that's why I gravitate towards trail running in particular, because you can't just zone out and shuffle. Uh, you're constantly having to look for roots and rocks and obstacles and be engaged with nature and the trail. And you get to see some, some pretty cool um, bragging points of nature if you're running on trails, because uh, you're not just getting bombarded by cars and exhaust fumes on your run. You're getting, uh, you're getting kind of a glimpse into like, some in some cases urban wildlife areas in some cases areas that very few humans get to access because you can't just ride an atv or a horse back in some of those areas that we're training or racing yeah no that's true absolutely so a little bit of background because like literally i've known you for 90 seconds plus five minutes and five seconds uh, can you kind of give us a background of uh, where you grew up, uh, what what you currently do for a living, because I think some people are hesitant to even think about training for a race like this uh, if they have a busy life or busy job or not a flexible schedule or they have kids. So can you give us a little bit of, of kind of a, a, a bio of where kind of where you're at and where you, where you came from? Yeah, for sure. OK, so. Uh... I grew up in Princeton, Iowa, a uh, real small town in the Mississippi. Uh, I was always athletic my whole life, into football and stuff like that. Um, went in the Marine Corps immediately after high school. Uh, was a jet mechanic for F-18s. So, and obviously, I mean, you're doing all sorts of stuff in the Marine Corps, whether it's healthy or not or whatever. That's a whole different thing. Uh, but I was always very engaged and very... I don't know, I guess trying to do the best. That's what I used to think about it as. I have a completely different perspective about it now. Uh, yeah, I was in the Marine Corps five years. I got out. Uh, and throughout that whole entire time, basically through high school, all the way through the Marine Corps, I was either competing or training to compete, training to compete in powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting. Uh, so I was a powerlifter, weightlifter for really up until a year and a half ago. Uh, we'll get to that shortly, I guess. Uh, well, I was competing in that stuff. I got out. I was like, I'm going to be a strength coach. That's what I want to do. Uh, I was never really forced to think critically about it. It was always just a hobby I really enjoyed, you know, but kind of. I was really mean to myself during that whole entire time. Uh, but... I got out, went to college for human performance and fitness. So it's like an exercise science degree, right? Um, I finished that. I graduated in 2019. And yeah, I got these internship offers and stuff, but nothing was, nothing was sticking, you know? And I did one internship and I just, I felt so disconnected from the field and all the people I worked with in the field. And it was always like there was this huge looming idea that uh, you in and of yourself is never good enough. Uh, I was like, man, this just doesn't 
I just feel anxious all the time. I feel like all the people I'm around are anxious all the time too. Uh, it just didn't feel peaceful. So definitely not happy, you know. Uh, but so I just couldn't commit to anything. I was just like, I even had this big opportunity to be a, this was really weird. It sounds way too good to be true. So I'm still weirded out by it. Uh, I had this opportunity to go be a strength coach in China for, Olymp for the Olympic uh, speed skating team. And yeah, I know it sounds like way too good to be true. Like, why the hell didn't you do that? Uh, but I don't know. That just wasn't my path at the time. It didn't, it was never like, a, oh, hell yeah, I'm doing that. Obviously, otherwise I'd be there, right? Uh, so I just felt really disconnected from the field. But now I'm graduated. I'm kind of like at the standstill spot. I had these two big life experiences. I went and to the Marine Corps, went through all that stuff. I went through college. And I still felt like I had made just like zero progress. You know, I just felt like I had started over multiple times. But I needed a job, right? So I went back to working on jets uh, here in Moline, Illinois, which is where I currently live, uh, working for a company called Elliott. And man, that not a good place to work, uh, in my opinion, anyways. But I ended up just getting recently getting furloughed about 50 days ago or so, uh, do the whole COVID stuff, just no work at all. Um, yeah. So... That was kind of an interesting time being on furlough. Uh, and now, so I'm back in school again for mechanical engineering in this point. So I guess throughout most of my running uh, career, really this past year and a half or whatever, really, I've just been working as a jet mechanic the whole entire time. Uh, so, I mean, I live by myself, no, no animals or anything like that. So really, I'm pretty fortunate that I have the time to go and train. You know, I'm working 40 to 50, 60 hours a week or whatever, but it's still just me taking care of me. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's really kind of the breakdown up until this point. Yeah, because right now I'm going to school again, which, yeah, I don't know, the mixed bag of feelings about that too. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And so to, to point out, like those that aren't experienced in the running community, it is a huge undertaking to like at least just sign up for a hundred miler um, with that short of a running career rather than like actually having five, six, seven years under your belt and ramping up um, in what what body weight do you kind of sit around? Because if you had powerlifting and Olympic lifting in your history, mm -hmm. uh, you're probably not one of those like super wiry 125 pound marathoners that people think about. No, absolutely not. Uh, -uh. uh, I usually competed in the hundred kilogram class, so I was was weighing about 220 pounds. Uh, okay. Currently, I probably weigh. I don't know. It's been a long time since I weighed myself. I don't really care, but I don't know. I probably weigh like 170, 175 right now. Uh, but yeah. And we're pretty similar in that vein because like when I was doing a ton of CrossFit and a bunch of lifting, like I was hanging out around like 205 and starting training back up with running even four days a week, I kind of dropped down to like that 185. Mm -hmm. But 
with with more training, I'm probably going to be race weight, probably around 175. Um, because one of my training partners, he he has a saying that pounds equal pain. Um, and if you go into a an, an ultra with extra body weight, that adds up over 50 or 100 mile or 100 miles, like uh, just like if you have uh, a small form flaw and you're running, that's going to, that's going to add up over the miles. Uh, absolutely. My, it's funny. I mean, I was in complete agony this past weekend during this hundred miler, but the time when I was the most sore and in the most consistent pain was when I very first started running. Uh, I was probably weighing about 200 pounds, 205, something like that. Uh, I had never been so tight my whole entire life uh i was really lucky that i had a pretty great group of guys to run with you know and i was also pretty lucky uh so that helped running with those guys you know uh that helped kind of push the limit sometimes but i'm really lucky that i don't know for some reason something kind of got ignited to where i was excited to go out and run you know uh I was still kind of like in the, I don't know, training hard mindset, you know, uh, but it made it easier to get out there when I was still sore. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's a, a beautiful thing that the same thing that makes you excited to go out and go run is the same reason why people get addicted to CrossFit and lifting is that novice effect Yeah, to right. where you probably maybe PR'd twice a year in powerlifting or ollie lifting because you had mastered it. But when you go out and you're shaving off like 30 seconds a mile on your splits every two weeks, that novice effect is very powerful at motivating human beings to continue the activity. It's almost like being on a diet and losing 10 pounds a week. And when people start to plateau in a diet is when they get discouraged and they quit. They aren't going to quit their diet if they're losing 10 pounds a month. And that's similar to when you start running, you, you tend to get a lot faster very quickly. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I was just thinking about that. I was like, it was so easy sometimes, you know, it's like I run one route one second faster and I PR it, you know, I'm able to do that with, it was like PR after PR after PR after PR, you know, and sometimes really big significant ones, which obviously, you know, that happens with novices all the time uh, or sometimes little ones, but it was cons consistent all the time. And I guess I'm still looking for things I haven't done or places I haven't ran or if it has, if it has been a place I've ran was a new distance there or a new way I can run it, you know, um, uh, and like now it's starting to get a little bit challenging because at least I think that I've done a lot of the things around my area, you know, but sometimes it can literally just be in finding a new alleyway with some aggressive uh, grade to it. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. You know, let's see how many times I can do this in an hour and a half or something. Or let's see what sort of cadence I can maintain for an hour or what sort of heart rate. I, I don't really pay attention to heart rate too much, but you know, you can recreate the same type of run a lot of different ways, you know, and make it exciting over and over and over again. So that's what I keep trying to do. Yeah. So 
let's talk a little bit about um, your your early training, how that kind of that that developed into because uh, you probably didn't start training eighteen months ago exactly how you were training for this hundred miler. How did your view of training change? Because you obviously have a degree in the nuts and bolts of this. So you t- you're probably taking a more scientific mindset of training, uh, especially knowing Bart's because he's a, he's kind of a, a biohacker tinkerer when it comes to health and fitness on the endurance side. Uh, how did your early training change to what your current training is? Um, okay. Yeah. I, I guess I'd say it's probably not going to be what you're expecting or what maybe okay. anyone might be expecting. When I started off, I was kind of following, uh, okay. I'll preface it with this. The two months before I had started running, I was really depressed and I had kind of given up on just a lot of things. I had a really bad emotional time. I stopped lifting. I stopped doing anything. Um, uh, and so I was in this mindset that like whatever I had been doing, it's like, I don't know how many year long programs I have written and just, I have assessed everything so many different ways. I don't, I don't know how many programs I have saved, you know, and how many different Excel sheets I've made and whatnot like that for myself, for other people. Uh, I've analyzed, I've analyzed it to the point where I wasn't productive. That's why I feel like anyways. Uh, So I was finally in a state where I didn't want to do any of that. Uh, And so when I started running, like I I still had like a form to it. Uh, Well, in the very first (laughs) run I signed up for was a 50K. I went from doing nothing to, I got really lucky. My buddy, I came into work one day and he jokingly asked me, he's like, hey, you want to do a 50K with me? I was like, yes. I was like, I don't know why I said yes. What's up? Bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, I I don't know. I was just, I was so sick of everything at that time in my life. I was like, yes, I'll do it. I was like, hell yeah. Like the the idea of ultra running had always been very appealing to me. Uh, So that helps too, right? But so basically signed up for a 50K. I hadn't ran more than really seven miles ever in my entire life. but they're kind of funny story behind the program. I don't know. We'll go into it in this podcast, but basically I just used a a program from Google. You know, I didn't want to put anything into it. And it was like, I don't know, maybe after this, I'll just show you the one that I used, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, It really came down to everything was time-based and that's what I liked. I was like, dude, I'm just going to go out, run for 45 minutes. However far I get, however far I get, I don't care. Uh, now on the weekends, you know, there'd be longer runs. And that was the only time I'd really, so I guess there'd be long, one long run in the weekend and one more intense run during the week, like uh, some sort of speed work, you know. Uh, and I stuck to that kind of program for, I don't know, really up until the 50K. So that was that was about 16 weeks, something like that. Um, but now, and this, I mean, if you talk to Bart's 
about me, I guess, at all. I'll just say I'll do what I feel like doing. I don't plan anything out, literally. Uh, like if I... If something sounds fun, I'll go and do it. If it doesn't sound fun, then I probably won't do it. Uh, so I'm lucky that a lot of these intense things sound fun and exciting to me. Uh, but I don't know. So obviously my training now is quite a bit longer. And but usually it's because – what? what's that? Go ahead. Were you going to say so, something? Yeah, I think that that's – that's that's a pretty good strategy of just um, freestyling at first, and you you may be your motivation may line up with that, but I don't think that strategy would work for someone who is not as disciplined or doesn't have the background in fitness uh, or may not enjoy running as much uh, because mm-hmm. they'll talk themselves out of going out and training or. Some people don't like hard things. Not everyone has that inner David Goggins in their in in their belly, just going, "Oh, this is really going to suck," but I want to go do it, so we're going to go do it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Right? Uh, I don't know. In my head, I'm like I'm complete 180 of David Goggins. Uh, I don't I don't do anything to try and prove anything to myself or anybody. Uh, like. If somebody, okay, so this is like kind of like the whole thing where I was saying with the whole strength and conditioning field and human performance thing, it was like the idea that you're not good enough already is, well, it's a fallacy, you know, uh, but I don't know. Uh, obviously, you can do things to make yourself have a happier life, right? Uh, because that's really, when you get down to it, that's what it's about, right? It's not about having the best life, you know? It's about having, I don't know, a happier one. Uh, but, I don't know, letting go of all that stuff, you know? When I realized it was okay to walk in a run, or it was okay to fall below the pace that I set out to do, uh, and that it didn't inherently mean something about my value, is when it became easier and more motivating to go further and harder. It's weird. It sounds backwards of what you might think. Um, But yeah, it's, it's when I realized that all that stuff doesn't really say something about me as a person. uh, I was like, okay, this is fun, you know? Uh, And then it becomes, it, takes a whole new form uh then becomes a positive experience as opposed to something where i torture myself Uh, so and i think it is hard for us like coming from a strength and conditioning background or a crossfit background like we like to live in that very dark place and to push and redline all the time but if you do that at the start of an ultra the ultra will eat you for dinner uh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> As I, I found, I found that out multiple times now. Uh, yeah, my first ever marathon was one that Brandon Bartz hosted. Uh, well, actually I didn't even, I didn't even go fast. I just didn't drink any water. And I fell apart. And then my very first 
50K, which is the one I signed up for, uh, which was also in Wisconsin, Kettle Moraine. So, I mean, that's where your first 100 mile ever be. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. I was averaging like an 830 pace for like the first three and a half hours. And I stopped at aid station. And I walked away and I was like, things are different. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then I like, I had to basically walk it out. Uh, that was really, really bad. And it was the same thing as last weekend. Um, uh, yeah, I wasn't in a really good headspace going into it. Uh, and I didn't respect the terrain there one bit. Oh man, I had no idea the terrain could be that bad. Uh, all I knew, so my 50 miler experiences, both had about 8,000 to 9,000 feet of elevation gain in them. I did them both in about 10 hours. The 100 miler I was preparing okay. for had 10,000 feet of elevation gain and 100 miles. So in my head, I'm like, oh, this is fucking easy, you know? Like, I can do that. Like, uh, so I thought it was a solid plan. Okay, let's backtrack a little bit. My, when I got done with my first 50 miler, uh, and it was the Jackson 50 50 in Indiana, when I got done with that, I, I knew that I could go out and do a two, at least 20 more miles at that pace. I, that was a fantastic positive experience for me. So with these things, these past experiences in my mind, going into my 100 miler, I was like, uh, it should be pretty realistic for me to do about a 12 to 13 minute pace, you know. And con uh, coincidentally, the, the course record was about 21 and a half hours. I was like, man, if I keep that pace, I got a shot at breaking the course record. Bad idea for your first 100 miler, right? Well. Yeah, first loop I averaged Where about. Was the, what was the hundred miler? What what race was it last weekend? Uh, the Shawnee Hills one hundred. It was in uh, Ozark, Illinois, so like way southern Illinois. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah, the first loop I did about twelve to twelve thirty pace, and I knew I had messed up already by that point. the The train was incredibly rocky uh i just i didn't know i could be that tired after one loop of that i was like this does not match up well with my past experiences um but also all the other ultras i had done well my 50 milers at least were all in about 30 degree or lower weather which i do great in cold weather uh this one was 85 to 95 the whole time which is like no bueno for me i do not do well in the heat uh, so yeah me either and i live <laughs> in south texas now i i finished a 10 miler this morning and it was 81 degrees and 86 percent humidity at the start oh no i that's uh, yeah that's i have a hard time being motivated during the heat. I'll say that. <laughs> I have a hard time saying good things about running during the heat. But. So with this race, what was it? What, how many loops were there um, in the race? Because I know a lot of them are uh, double out and back. Some of them have three loops. Some of them have different length loops. Was it equal length loops and how many? So it was three 32-mile loops plus a three-mile loop at the beginning. Um, 
which honestly was intimidating to me before I started. And after the fact, I still think maybe splitting it up that way into thirds, it might be the worst way to go about doing it. I don't know why it is, but like three loops, like each one is long enough to be intimidating, but it's more than just two, you know, like when you go over something hard, you know, you have to go and do it two more times, you know? Uh, so yeah, three 32 mile loops. Uh, man, that sucked. That sucked a lot. Yeah. I was talking with my training partners this morning and I was telling them how like I would have a lot easier time mentally with a point to point or an out and back, because if you're sitting in a lawn chair and you're uncomfortable and everything hurts and you're getting a little bit mentally drained or you're going into like a, a physically rough spot and you're 20 yards away from your car, uh, that's that's a rough spot to be in versus <laughs> it being very inconvenient to to quit in the chair. Yeah, yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> that's yeah, I don't, it's, yeah, it's crazy. My, my hundred miler, I got to the point. So this is the first time that I've ever gotten to the point where I'm like, I need to quit. And I got, I got really dehydrated. Um, yeah, I definitely made some mistakes. I got really dehydrated and I was having a hard time just walking in a straight line. And I realized this about mile 55 or so it was starting to get dark. Um, I still had like four more miles to get to the aid station and it was just, it was a bad time. A really, really, really bad time. And I'd kind of, I'd given myself two rules before the race. Uh, number one was be kind to myself, no matter what, like never, never beat myself up. That's first and foremost. Uh, my second rule is if the experience became something that I didn't want or I couldn't see myself gaining something positive from it to end it. And I thought I was at that point. Uh, but not so only that. What, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, not only did I think that I was at that point where the experience was um, like the suffer versus the reward. I thought it was out of balance. You know, I really thought it was there. Uh, but I also, I know I don't do well in the heat and I knew I was dehydrated. Like I hadn't been sweating for a while uh, and I was out of water. I had four more miles to get to the aid station, right? So really bad spot to be in because four miles at that point, like, I don't know how long it took me. I'd have to go look at my Strava or something, but it took me a long time. Uh, but I was purely convinced that it was unsafe for me to go on. You know, I got to the aid station. And I got down on the ground and it was like, I wasn't hallucinating, but man, and this is like mile like 60. All right. This is, I got almost twice as much to go. Uh, but I was shaking and shivering. Like I felt it's almost 90 degrees out. I'm lying on the ground in the fetal position, shaking because I was so cold. Like I was, whether dehydrated or something was wrong. You know, I know that something was wrong. Uh, and as I couldn't stop shaking, I couldn't stop. I wasn't hyperventilating, but I was breathing really, really messed up. Uh, 
and I was able to calm myself down and talk to the people at the aid station. I was like, I, no matter what, I need to stop feeling like this before I can go on. So at least there in my head right then at that moment, I knew that there's a shred of possibility that I can go on. I just need to chill out, you know, and I don't know how long I was there. Uh, but I would just slam some water. They gave me some cups of ramen noodles and stuff. And uh, I was there for a long time. I think I was there for like two or two and a half hours. But I ended up falling asleep for a while. When I woke up, uh, I definitely knew I felt different when I woke up. But these group of people walked by and this girl, she asked me, she's like, how are you doing? Uh, she was pacing for some other people. And I was like, I had like just woken up. I was like, I'm fucked. <laughs> she goes, well, you still have your racing bib on. And I don't know, I just kind of thought about it. And I realized, like, I hadn't been up long enough to think about it, but I just realized at that moment, and I was like, okay, I feel better than what I did a while ago, like quite a bit, right? Like, I'm not shaking anymore. And I was like... I'm kind of like upset. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> but, and that crew, they offered to wait for me for a little while. Uh, but I was still scared if I ended up getting dehydrated the way I did. Like, if that happened again, it would be bad. You know, it'd be really, really bad. Uh, like, I, I was concerned about the possibility of me I mean, it sounds extreme, but maybe dying. You know, if I passed out by myself out there, I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, I just, I wouldn't know what could happen. Uh, but when that's said they the were difference great. between trail and marathons. Like you, you have, if you're running a marathon in New York City, like you're going to pass out in the mid, like right in front of the Empire State Building or in Central Park, and there's going to be people dragging you to an ambulance. But if Immediately, you pass yeah. out on the side of a trail, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah. And there was there was about almost an eight and a half mile section uh, between aid stations, and boy, every time did it feel long. Holy hell! But uh, but I knew that was my chance so, when those people. I was like, at least then, if I pass out, there'll be somebody there. And I was like, at least then, I probably won't die. So that's when I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm putting on my shoes. I'm going. You know, uh, and I guess that's all I really needed. You know, is that a little bit of reassurance that like, at least if I passed out, that'd be somebody be trying to do something to take care of me, you know? Uh, and yeah, once I had that, I was like, okay, let's do it. But Which may not so be a one question because thing. I've done three fifty Ks. Uh haven't done anything longer than that. Yeah. So I've done a few fifty Ks. Um and that's enough time for you to get into like maybe one low spot. Um how does that compare to a fifty miler or a hundred miler? Because it seems to be there's a lot more peaks and valleys to where like I've watched enough like footage of people like GoProing hundred milers, and it seems like there's like maybe 
six to eight like slumps and and it has to do with maybe terrain like a lot of uphill climbs or elevation and as soon as they go downhill uh like to where they're they're descending and they can string some faster mileage together they get a little bit of an adrenaline spike and it picks up or people go into a really dark place at night because it's just like you're just chasing your headlamp uh, what did you experience? Uh, we, we heard about your one really low spot to where you were kind of shaking on the ground and sleeping. Uh, how many kind of ebbs and flows did you go through and how did you come out of that dark place where the, the, the girl called you out and said, hey, your bib's still on uh, or just didn't call you out, but it was just kind of a, an epiphany of observation that you're like, oh, okay, I still have this on. Uh, what did you experience after that, and how did you claw out of that? So I only had one other really low spot. Uh, so I joined that crew for a while, finished out the second loop, uh, and now I was feeling good enough on the beginning of the third loop. I was like, you know what? I think I'll take off and keep going by myself. They wanted to stick around and wait for the rest of their group to catch up. Uh so I went off by myself for about another six mile leg back to the same aid station that I was that I broke down at. Uh, and it was nighttime now. And that's when I got into my next low spot. Uh, and it wasn't really, I got really, really, really tired. Like I fell down over a log and I fell down in this, like <laughs> the trail was kind of muddy. So I basically fell down in mud, but I was so tired that I just laid there. I shut off my headlamp for a little bit. but I think I was able to get so tired because I didn't have that positive energy around me anymore. I was just by myself. Um, but I basically just trudged all the way. I don't know how long it took me to get to that aid station again. Um, I, I knew that group was coming behind me, you know? Uh, I was like, well, even if I fall apart, they'll be behind me and I'll jump back in line with them. I at that point, I was pretty confident that their energy would carry me. Uh, it's crazy to think about the difference in how I felt when I was alone versus when I was with them. Uh, but that's pretty much what happened. I got to the aid station. I fell asleep again for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Then that group came up and uh, I mean, I can't lie. I thought about quitting again. I was so tired, you know, but at that point I was like, I was just really, really tired, you know, sleepy, tired. Um, uh, so I didn't, I didn't have to go through the same kind of mental process. Like, am I going to be safe or whatever? Um, so they showed up and I was like, okay, let's do it. And that was only my really, that was my only other really low spot, you know, and don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, finishing out the rest of that third loop. I mean, that, that sucked. <laughs> uh, I didn't really get into a, like a dark spot, you know? Uh, but it was pretty crazy. It was like probably like mile 85 or 86 or something. Me and this one girl were just getting after it. We zoomed ahead of the group and she was kicking my ass, but she was definitely, she was going. Uh, but I thought about the position I was in probably like 11 or 12 hours ago, just to me lying on the ground, you know, like where I, I completely believed I was done. Uh, but I thought back to that point, I was like, I just started crying, you know, I was like, wow, here I am, like, I'm about to finish, you know, like, 
obviously I still had like 15 miles left, but I was like, Oh my God. Like, I, like I'm actually doing it. This is crazy. I can't believe it. like, it was like, I came back from the dead. Uh, but really, I mean, I guess to answer that question in short was new, knowing that I had that group of positive energy coming for me, you know, uh, if I would have been by myself completely, like if I was in last place or uh, I don't know, if there's a point to point or something like that. Um, oh man, I don't know what I, what I had to do to, uh, to change that because I don't think sleeping would have helped at that point. I think I would have slept right through the whole night, you know? And I think the guys that I was training with this morning, between the two of them, they've they've finished probably twelve, eight to twelve hundred milers. Um, and one of them is thinking of doing that two hundred triple crown next year. Uh, yes. So they're pretty seasoned runners, and I, I think that it, it's a very powerful point of kind of surrounding yourself with positive energy and people that mirror and match your weaknesses because. The, one of them that's thinking of doing the 200 triple crown, uh, he's like, I'm going to put reins on you the first 60, 70 miles and slow you down so that you don't get yourself into trouble by going out too fast uh, and just getting into that that spot. And I think that I'm I'm very fortunate to have someone who's willing to travel across the country and help me out there and kind of be another racer pacer combo uh, but looking back, doing this yourself, uh, what would be the major like three things you would have whispered in your ear if you knew what happened at the end when you are telling yourself like the two days before the race on how to go about it? What would you have changed up to ensure that you didn't end up shivering on the ground? Uh, I almost have an answer to that immediately. One would be take my friends as pacers they, they all offered and i was convinced that i would be better off by myself uh so i would me now would have told me then take your damn friends <laughs> i mean as we can all tell that is what really made the difference uh, was that community uh number two slow down that that first loop was definitely too fast um uh, It'd always, always be better to start off, you know, going too slow and then be able to maybe, who knows, maybe it'll go hard the last 10 miles, you know, because you reserve that and probably make for a more positive experience in the moment. Uh, so two, slow down for sure. Number three, this, this one I kind of go back and forth on, uh, I think I should have drank more water consistently. Like if I could somehow like put an IV to myself, obviously like that would be the best thing. Right. But for me, I need to drink a ton, but I would tell myself to drink more consistently in smaller amounts. Uh, but I did a good job of remembering to drink and then I would drink a ton. But I think my stomach had a hard time dealing with that. You know, uh, I should have been sipping every 30 seconds. That's what it feels like, you know, uh, because it was too hot. It was a little bit too intense for me to make use of much at any one time. 
So I needed to take things in in small amounts, but just consistently. Uh, but yeah, my friends, slow down and water. That's uh, for sure. How does your body feel this week in in recovery mode? I feel honestly way better than I thought I was going to. Uh, I couldn't really walk after the race. Uh, I had to get people to help me around and stuff. And Monday, my feet were like, it looked like a pregnant lady's. They were so swollen. It was ridiculous. Uh, but I mean, I, I ran on Thursday. So was it two days ago? I ran this morning with my buddies. Uh, my feet are still kind of tender. My right foot feels like it has a deep bruise in it. But that's, that's really about it. You know, honestly, right now I'm excited about getting after again. Like there's a, my buddy's doing a hundred miler in October and I think I might do it with him. So yeah, overall I'm feeling pretty good right now. It kind of helps that I blew up a little bit because if I didn't have, and I was actually able to put forth all the effort that I had, then I'd probably be crippled right now, you know? So as far as I, you obviously are not one of those one and done guys. Cause you're already thinking of doing it again. Um, a week after, um, what, are you going to change anything about your training or nutrition? Cause we did talk about the, mm -hmm. the little bit of water more often on the hydration front. Um, what'd you do for nutrition and would you have changed that up? So yeah, nutrition. Yeah. That's, that was a big bugaboo too, because I didn't really have too much of a plan. I knew in my past experiences taken in. Uh, so I normally use like shot blocks. That's my main thing. Uh, Taking in two or three shot blocks and two to three salt tabs every about 40 minutes in the past has worked really well for me. Uh, I tried to stick with that regimen on this, and it got, it got thrown off at some point. I ended up feeling really hungry, so I ate I ate like a PB&J at a aid station. It was probably like – it wasn't too long before I blew up. Uh I ate too much and my stomach just couldn't handle it. Uh, but yeah, if I were to change things training wise and nutrition wise, uh, first off, I'd practice. So weekend runs, I mean, you can probably find this in every hundred mile training program. Weekends would be big, long runs, practicing like 40, 50 miles or something. Uh, not every weekend, of course, you know, uh, but that being a big chance to really get in that sort of pace and figure out what sort of nutrition works for you. Uh, if I would have had those experiences closer to this one in the same sort of environment, the heat really messed things up for me. My past experiences were basically thrown out the window because the cold just helps me out so much, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I definitely want to try that in my training longer runs closer to, I don't know, probably no closer than eight weeks to doing like, I don't know, a 50 miler, you know, something like that. Uh, but to really give myself some insight on what sort of nutrition will work for me. Uh, I think, well, I'd like to try and do different nutrition wise is obviously experiment with water while drinking more and also experiment with uh, more things like tailwind or 
uh, nutrition that's liquid-based because my stomach had a problem digesting stuff. Uh, it, it was basically useless for a while. Uh, but I think if I was to take, I mean, even something as simple as Gatorade, you know, take Gatorade or Tailwind or whatever, uh, take that in constantly. I think my body would have a much easier time with it. So I want to experiment with that for sure. So I know we talked about the three things that you would have whispered in your own ear at the start line or a couple days before the race, but that's all race specific stuff. Uh, how did finishing this hundred miler kind of give you perspective on what you were capable of physically and mentally just in life in general? I mean, something that pops into my head immediately is it doesn't always get worse. Uh, I mean, take that saying for what you will apply it however you want to, but and it's not always helpful, but uh, it doesn't always get worse, you know, because I was definitely at my lowest point for certain, not little over halfway into it. And uh, things got better. It totally got better. Um, yeah, that's. And I think, I think that's very good advice for the situation we're in right now as a, a country and community wise, like there, we're in a dark spot with race relations, police brutality, uh, COVID pandemic, uh, murder hornets, sports boycotts, lack of sports. Um, and it seems like it just keeps getting worse. So I think that we can take your, your advice, uh, in just our current situation of going, okay, this is not a linear curve. Um, eventually it's going to hit a point to where the ball has to bounce and have a positive trajectory. And we are going to rebound because humans and humans as a collective are pretty resilient species. Um, so I think that's pretty applicable to a lot of people's daily lives now that are worried about not having a job, not being able to pay their bills and having like this stoic philosophy of it going, okay, I still have some working limbs. I'm not on a ventilator. I can train to some capacity. I can do something within my control to become a better human being today. Um, and it's not always going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, that's, yeah, realizing, I mean, for me in those moments, there was obviously things that I could do something about and things I, that I couldn't do much about. Uh, I wasn't really trying to analyze them during that time, you know, uh, but I knew, I absolutely 100% knew that I was better off with people than I was without people. Uh, and that's, I don't know, that's another big takeaway for me. I mean, in my, in my short running career, I've been led to believe that I'm better off by myself. Uh, because I don't know. I'm just really nice to myself. You know what I mean? I don't beat myself up. Uh, but it wasn't what I needed then. Uh, and yeah, I guess just being, I, well, I didn't really have another choice, 
but to rely on other people, you know, uh, I mean, and take that for what you may, it's like, you can, you work yourself to death, you know, but there's going to be some point, no matter what, that you're going to need assistance, uh, or you need some, some other sort of resource, whether that's people or not, you know, in my case it was, uh, but yeah, it's, you don't have everything to conquer everything just in yourself, you know, there, at least I don't think so anyways, right? But. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to recognize that trail runners in general are a weird group. Um, I, I've noticed the difference because I've run road races for years. Uh, I've been a runner since middle school in you go to these marathons and everyone kind of keeps to themselves. They go to the expo, they pick up their bag, they buy some gear, they shave their legs. They have $200 shorts and $300 sunglasses. And you could be standing on the side of the road at a road marathon, like wincing in pain and people are worried more about their splits and they just shoot by you. But on a trail race, you have a ton of great volunteers at aid stations and just a ton of like good, genuine people on the trail that will sacrifice and slow down to help their their fellow racers because they realize it's you guys and nature and the splits don't really matter as much. Dude, yes. that uh, Of that group I ran with mainly, uh, just about everybody there was there for each other. You know, I mentioned that they waited up for the other half of the group. And I think they waited like 20 or 30 minutes, you know? So it was like, nobody was PR in anything. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure there are other groups that same sort of way. Right. Uh, but yeah, dude, it, I get, I guess it really puts you on focus to what is, at least for me, more memorable, more significant, you know? Uh, it's cool to PR something, right? Like it'd be sweet to go to a 50 K and blow by all these people. But if I saw someone on the side of the ground, there'd be no way I couldn't stop and ask, you know, are you okay? You know, but. So we're coming up on about an hour. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to, uh, give any advice to people that hear this and this inspires them because they realize that 18 months is a pretty short period of time. And if you did this in 18 months of focus training, uh, that it's not out of the scope of somebody to do, do something this significant in a, uh, a finite period of time. Uh, but also just any, any shout outs or acknowledgements you want to give of, uh, whether it be people that helped you at the race or training partners that helped you get through it, um, that you'd like to say to kind of put a bow on this podcast. Oh man, that so much of stuff just popped in my head. I don't even know where to start, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. As far as advice goes, I don't know how many times I've said it throughout this podcast, but for me, it's worked incredibly well. Uh, but was being kind to myself. Uh, it's a lot easier to keep going 
when you don't feel like a piece of shit for not doing it the way you wanted it to. Uh, I don't know. The whole point of everything is to somehow live a happier life. Uh, and hopefully that means a more ethical one too, you know? So I don't know, do things you feel confident about and things that you don't have to justify, you know, uh, of running or running a hundred miler ends up being one of those things. Then sweet. <laughs> if that's, I don't know if it's something else than sweet too, but as long as it actually gives value to your life, that's the main thing. Uh, yeah. As far as shout outs. Oh man, dude. <laughs> uh, well, first and foremost, through for the people who helped me get through that race, you know, even the reason why I'm on this podcast right now, thanks to you. Uh, but the people in that race, I mean, obviously all the volunteers, the race committee, uh, but the people who also got me through it, Ryan, Sally, Esther, uh, who else was there? What are their names? Uh, Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I got to say thanks to my boys, Brandon, Bren. Adam, JT, Clark Norris. That's, that's, this list could be incredibly long, <laughs> but for brevity's sake, I'll call it there. But awesome, man. Well, I look forward to catching up with you uh, after your October endeavors if you decide to go through with that and commit to it oh, we'll and do see. it with a buddy. And, and we'll talk about any differences that you may have noticed going into it with your your seasoned veteran strategies now because you were able to kind of pivot and learn from some of your um, your experiences in this 100-miler. But, man, congrats. Uh, I look forward to hopefully uh, being part of that small group that has, has eclipsed that distance and finished it and be a proud owner of a buckle some sometime in the near future in 2021. Hell yeah. It, it, awesome experience. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Well, I look forward to, to working with you in the future and uh, thanks for making the time this morning on a Saturday to uh, kick up your legs a little bit and take some time away from your training and your weekend to, to talk with us and share your experience and your knowledge. Oh yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And hey, good luck to you on that. I really appreciate it.